Hi, I'm BJ, and this is the Arcane Alienist Podcast. All right, for days three and four of my uh, RPG a day catch up episode, uh, those topics are tactic or tactics and weapon. So here we go. As far as tactics go, I am a a tactical player. I think when I approach the game, I want to know my. I'm I'm not a power gamer or a min maxer necessarily, but I do want to know my character's skills, abilities, what they do, what they're good at and not good at. Uh, and I think that's a reasonable role-playing approach. I, I think characters who are professional adventurers very quickly learn to assess what they can and can't do and what their allies can and can't do and how to combine your skills to make up for one, each other's shortcomings, um, bolster each other's strengths. And so I really, as a tactical player, enjoy it not only when I get to play tactically and when the DM allows me to utilize whatever skills depending on what kind of type of character I'm playing to to, to kind of have my moment in the spotlight to, to, to use my abilities tactically to, to try something. I really enjoy that. And I particularly like it when you can get in synergy with some other players at the table. Uh, of course, my, my ideal situation is you get an entire group of players who, who are uh, – become aware of each other's abilities and play off each other and they, they kind of they get into a groove, they get into a routine and they start discussing tactics. Um, maybe not drawing it out to the point that you never actually get around to, to an encounter or, or doing anything. But but the discussion of tactics, I think that's one of the most interesting things about role-playing games, particularly because role-playing games you know, if you, you have a class and level system like D&D definitely encourages people to take different types of characters and to consider what other people are um, playing and, 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 and when you decide what type of character you want to play. Um, but most every game has an ability to or the capacity to create a diverse group of characters that can then play tactically, whether that's a combat encounter or whether that's a social encounter. Um, whether that's some kind of skill and cha- skill challenge of, of infiltrating, or hey, somebody's got to pick the lock and somebody's got to, you know, uh, disable the trap. Somebody's got to keep a lookout, or whether somebody causes a distraction so someone else can sneak past some guards. Whatever the kind of encounter is or scenario, I, I think I enjoy it when when I enjoy it as a player when people use tactics, and I enjoy it as a DM to watch players do that. I like to create a challenge where they have to. There's not one solution, and then there's not usually a solution where one person can just do it. Um, so, uh, you know, tactics are a lot of fun, and I think that particularly owes to D&D's history uh, evolving out of war games. Um, so I do, I do enjoy tactical play quite a bit, and I think if I had advice for other players, it's um, even if you're not a highly tactical player, put a little effort into it. Um, you know, if your character's life depends on the skills of their companions, I think that translates into to most characters in a, in a adventuring party in a role playing game. They're using some tactics. They know what each other can and can't do, and kind of know their roles and their functions in different types of scenarios. Um, and I think you know, 
modern D&D game, particularly 4th and 5th edition, highly kind of try to encourage tactical play. Uh, I think it's there in older editions, although you don't have all the, the abilities that just mechanically key off each other and, and synergize with each other. You have to make it up as you go. And a good game master will let you, they'll see what you're doing and reward the efforts by giving you a bonus or just, you know, yeah, it automatically succeeds because that was a good idea or somehow helping you, uh, you know, pr- promote the use of good tactics um, with one another. So those are my thoughts on tactics uh, and, and, again, my advice. The other thing that I think is really cool on the flip side behind the Game Master screen, there's a really good blog called The Monsters Know What They're Doing. Uh, the guy who does that has recently, I think in the last year or two, put out a book that collects a lot of his uh, blog posts. And he talks about typical fantasy monsters, particularly with an eye for Dungeons & Dragons. That, that knowing what the monsters do, and, and if you look at modern, the way D&D has handled monsters in the last couple of editions, they try to give them some kind of special ability that speaks to what makes, it speaks to what makes a goblin and a hobgoblin and an orc and a kobold different other than just their hit points and, and how tough they are. They have a different special ability or, or a special, different mechanic that translates into certain tactics that gives it a different feel of fighting all of them. And I try to do that even in my old school essentials game where the party has so far has encountered goblinoids and um, kobolds. Uh, of course, they role played with the kobolds and didn't fight them. But but the idea is, is the more they fight these creatures, the more hopefully they'll see that they take a different approaches. And again, with old school essentials, that's more of a role playing uh, decision by the by the dungeon master. But so if you're a player, use tactics. If you're a DM, use tactics. I guess would be the takeaway there. Um, I don't know if I have any other special thoughts on that other than, uh, you know, if, if you if you want to get good at tactics, you got you got to practice them. I, I think playing war games, playing uh, other kinds of games that involve strategy, um, you know, even playing Settlers of Catan <laughs> gives me an idea of kind of what how you might play out some economic strategies for. Uh, if you ever want to work that into a, a, a role-playing D&D or, or fantasy or medieval role-playing game. Um, so, yeah. I don't know if I offered any exciting or particularly original thoughts there, but that's it for tactics. How are you going to talk about weapons uh, in fantasy role-playing games without talking about magic weapons? Um I mean, I guess I, I guess I could get into a lengthy discussion about why we include certain weapons and why we don't. And Gary Gygax is somehow his fetish of the pole arms, um, or the fact that sometimes D and D is notorious for misnaming weapons, and so um, we kind of, or that now you know one type of weapon actually encompasses a broad range of of similar weapons. But I'm not going to go there. What I thought I would do today is just roll up some random magic weapons. So I'm looking at my old school essentials book. Uh, I'm looking at making a magic sword here. So I'm going to roll on this tape, first table, um, and see what we get uh, for a magic sword. Got a four. It's a sword plus one, plus two versus spell users. Uh, which basically means that, you know, it, if you're going to attack uh, a cleric, a magic user, uh, or some other kind of creature that uses spells, 
uh, as an NPC or, or a monster that um, you get an additional plus one and it, it, above its uh, norm, 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 base plus one. So there's two. Let's roll and see if this sword happens to be sentient. So 30% chance. I roll a 52. So no, it's not sentient. Let's, 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 let's try it again. Uh, time I rolled a 51. 95. I guess I'm just going to keep rolling until I get below a 30. <laughs> Alright, so this is not a sentient sword. Um, let's just say, though, for the sake of argument, I had rolled a sentient sword. Um, intelligence... Intelligence and personalities. The sword's intelligence is 1d6 plus 6. Okay. Its intelligence is 12. That's the highest intelligence that a... I guess it's not. Um, not the highest it can get. I'm sorry, I misread the dice. It's a 10. That's still pretty high. That means that the sword can speak. It doesn't just communicate through empathy. It actually can speak... Um, out loud, it knows a number of languages indicated on rolling the languages table. All right, let's see what we get there. 57 on the table. It knows its alignment tongue plus two others. Um, well, then we got to find out what its alignment is. At 11. It's a law, so we have a lawful, intelligent sword who can speak. The lawful alignment plus two, um, and I guess that's up to the up to the referee. So um, I'll come back to that. I'll put a pin in that. We'll come back to that in a minute. Okay. It also gets uh, as a sword with with an intelligence of ten. It gets three sensory powers. Uh, and it has an ego rating. The sentient sword has an ego rating, a measure of the force of personality. Roll that on a d12. 11. That's a pretty... That is a very powerful ego on a sentient sword. Um, uh, so, control checks. Uh, when... when, when uh, upon first contact with the sword, when a character is reduced to half its hit points left, when another magic jealousy, when another magic weapon comes into the character's possession, uh, if a character is of a different, basically neutral or chaotic, if it's a different alignment, or if the sword has some kind of special purpose and the person tries to act in contrary to that purpose, you make a control check. Uh, determine the sword's will, which is its intelligence plus its ego, which, oh my lord, that's a 21. Um, Determine the wielder's will score, which is some of their strength and wisdom. So that could still be pretty high for, for a typical adventuring character. If the character has less than full hit points, reduce the will by 1d4, 2d4 if they have less than half their hit points. Compare the will scores. If the sword's will is higher, it takes control of the character's action. So that's how it works in old school essentials. Let's see what extraordinary powers this thing has. We've got three of them because of its... I rolled uh, 38. 
flying. The wielder is able to fly for three turns. Wow. 99. Roll twice again on the table. Wow. Okay. Uh, so that's a 34. Extra damage. The wielder increases the strength one for 1d10 rounds. While that power is active, damage inflicted by the wielder is multiplied by 4. Wow. Uh, 79 telepathy the sword enables a wielder to have telepathy and 49 um, illusion so the an illusion of the wielder's choosing manifest so this would be a really powerful sword Keeping in mind, I rolled a D8, so that's the basic table, um, which would have been you know plus one sword, plus two versus spell users, uh, but but because I fudged and gave it an sentient, you know, if you get a sentient sword even at low level, I mean this this basically turns your character into a superhero and could pretty pretty disruptive to a low level campaign if you're not careful. But that's the way BX works. Um, Why well, I said let's keep a let's let's put a pin on the languages. There's a cool table in 5th edition, Dungeon Master's Guide, on page 142 and 143. It's actually a set of tables that give just a little fill, just color to magic items. Um, and again, you can roll them at random. So I'm going to roll on this table just to, to see. Uh, the first one is who created it or what was its intended use. So I roll a d20. I get a 19. It was made by a gnome. As crafted appears to be ordinary and might look worn, it could also incorporate gears or mechanical components, even if these aren't essential to the item's function. So it's created by gnome, so I would say one of its language is going to be gnomish. What is a detail from its history? This one will roll a d8. Heroic. A great hero once wielded this item. Anyone who's familiar with the item's history expects great deeds from the new owner. So... You know, I'm assuming that gnome might be, that hero might be a gnome. So you're getting some some lore to put into the setting if, if someone finds this sword. What minor property does it have? Again, we get a d20 roll. I get a 10. Language. The bearer can speak and understand a language of the DM's choice while the item is on its bearer's person. So what we might just say is that um, we'll pick one of these languages that the thing speaks and it will confer understanding on one of those languages. What quirk does it have? D12. Three. Covetous. The item's bear becomes assessed with material wealth. So, you know, you've got a sentient sword created by a gnome. Um, it grants a number of fantastic powers. It speaks the lawful alignment. It speaks gnomish. Um, what other language might? It might depend on what setting. I would say primordial if I was going with 5th edition um, just to give it an elemental feel um, but it can cast illusion so you might give it sylvan or elven elvish to reflect that um, but yeah these these tables are fun and it's always interesting to discover what kind of uh, quirks and traits and interesting things come up randomly that you would never think to and now we've got a we've got a story on our hands a potential well how did this get to be where did it come from um, and that could just be window dressing or that could be 
fodder for future adventures. Uh, so random tables and magic weapons, always a good time. So let's have a little contest here. Uh, call in and give me a name for the sword that we just rolled up. I don't have anything to offer as a prize other than gratitude, so maybe not a contest, just to display a game here. Call me in, give me some suggestions for the name of that sword. And that's it for this episode of The Arcane Alienist. I want to thank Dave Bone for the cover art that I use for the episodes. Check out ironseer.com. And the music is Come and Get It by Scott Holmes Music. Uh, thank you for listening. Uh, give me a call sometime through the Anchor app or at the Anchor website. And I'll be back in the future with another episode.